This is episode 204 of the Two Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of Two Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey, it's Anita here. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to let you know, if you're pregnant and want step-by-step guidance on how to have less pain and pelvic floor symptoms in pregnancy, how to prepare mentally and physically for labor and pushing, including how to minimize tearing, how to have your partner feel confident to support you during birth, and how to navigate a smoother postpartum recovery, my Bump to Birth Method online program is available for you to join. It's three programs in one, covering pregnancy, birth prep, and postpartum recovery, plus you get lifetime access to the program content and bonuses. Bump to Birth Method is my on-demand, self-paced online program where you can learn from the comfort of your own home through video and audio lessons on how to best connect to your pelvic floor and core in pregnancy beyond traditional Kegels, strategies to help common pregnancy pains and pelvic floor symptoms, my top strategies to prepare your mind, body, and pelvic floor for labor, how to best support you and your pelvic floor during pushing, key strategies for your partner to support you during labor, and how to navigate your first six weeks postpartum. Bonuses include expert interviews, core and pelvic floor yoga class, three strength training workouts, hospital and home birth bag lists, meditation tracks for pregnancy, birth, and postpartum recovery. Whether you're preparing for your first or fifth birth, if you're ready to have less pain and pelvic floor symptoms in pregnancy, feel fully prepared mentally and physically for labor and pushing, including how to minimize tearing and how to navigate your first six weeks postpartum recovery, then head to the show notes or go to bumptobirthmethod.com to see what other expecting moms have said about bump to birth and to enroll today. So welcome back to another To Birth and Beyond podcast. It's Anita here. And on today's episode, I have a special guest joining me to talk all about diastasis recti. So Jess and I have a number of episodes discussing this topic, but we thought it would be great to have another up-to-date episode focus on diastasis. And Minera was the first person that I thought of that would be excellent to share more about it. So If you don't know Manera, she is a highly sought after pre and postnatal physiotherapist situated here in Canada and is emerging as a leading physiotherapist for the management of diastasis recti abdominis around the world. After years of frustration with inconsistent results with her clients and having to say, we just don't have enough research on this right now, Manera began to challenge the conventional method to managing DRA. And she realized that part of the inconsistent results came down to how DRA was being conceptualized. So she started practicing 
with different a different set of principles, which translated into improving outcomes with her clients. And so she has now compiled all her knowledge and experience into a new framework that revolutionizes how we conceptualize, assess, and manage diastasis. And she is committed to transferring this knowledge to both professionals and patients so they can finally make sense of the steps to navigate diastasis. So Welcome, Manera. I'm so excited to finally have you on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for that intro. Yeah, no, I'm very excited to be here and to be able to talk about diastasis with you. Yeah. And um, we have people listening. So people in the community who might be experiencing diastasis or have questions, but also professionals who work with individuals with diastasis. So we'll be chatting about information. So whether you're Whichever professional or community member who is listening, you will definitely get a lot out of today's episode. And we'll share more at the end how you can connect with Manera. But if you're not following her on Instagram, you need to. So <laughs> even as we start, Manera, can you share your Instagram handle just so people know where to find you? Yeah, sure. It's uh, Manera Houdani PT. Um, and the I also go by Diastasis Rehab Physio. You're so great with the visuals and creating graphics, like so creative and just make it easier for people to really understand what it even is. And that's where I wanted to even start with because people listening are at all different levels with some people I know are even like, I don't even know what diastasis is and other people have been working with clients for years. So can you share like, what is the kind of traditional definition of diastasis. And for people listening, there are many names. There's DRA, you'll hear us say diastasis recti, diastasis rectus abdominis. They all mean the same thing. So yeah, so we'll dive into Manera if you want to share what it, what really is the traditional meaning of it. Okay, sure. Yeah. So traditionally, when we are talking about diastasis rectus abdominis, we are talking about the thinning and widening of the linea alba, which is in the midline of the abdomen, and it's right in between the two rectus abdominis muscles. So the, the word diastasis simply means, if we translate it, uh, separation. So when we say diastasis rectus abdominis, the literal translation translation is separation of the rectus abdominis muscle which is in the front so uh, really we are looking at the the linea alba connective tissue between the muscles and what happens to that i guess for the base of our conversation um, what happens to that during pregnancy and then also afterwards and so in pregnancy in order for our you know our bodies to allow pregnancy to occur, there has to be some stretching, some giving way, some sort of accommodating of the abdominal wall, the muscles and the connective tissue in order to allow for the baby to grow on the inside. So the body is allowing this, it's a natural process, it's a, a natural event. And so what we end up seeing is by the end of the pregnancy, there is a significant amount of stretching of not just the linea alba, but of the whole abdomen. And then 
postpartum, we, we will see that some individuals will have some lingering issues with um, muscle laxity, muscle weakness, connective tissue laxity. So the appearance of the abdomen starts to kind of look different um, compared to what it used to look like before being pregnant. And that's usually the most concerning for most people. It's like, what does the stomach look like? Um, and their concern is, A, why isn't it going back? Why doesn't my stomach look like it used to? What can I do to help it? So traditionally, it, we were really focused on just that linea alba, but the linea alba does only kind of take into account a very small part or aspect of the whole abdomen. You know, we're talking about a couple of centimeters, a few centimeters. Um, for sure, some women will have a wider linea alba, but even then, it's still, when we're talking about the whole abdomen, it really only accounts for a small part of it. And so when we're talking about sort of someone that has the, the quote, mummy pooch or mummy tummy, where there's that kind of distended abdomen, the an abdomen where the, the muscles and, and the tissues kind of look like they're sort of hanging or droopy and sort of look a little bit weaker, soft. All of that is not just due to the lineal, but it's because of the rest of the abdominal wall was uh, affected in pregnancy as well. So there's a traditional diastasis definition of lineal, but there's also what we are now starting to focus on is really the whole abdomen because pregnancy is really a global occurrence and event, not just very specific to one structure. Yeah, no, I love how you explain that. I know when you, in terms of seeing clients, and I find in the clinic, this is probably one of the first things I'm talking to clients about is like already debunking some of these myths or some of the traditional ways that diastasis is even still talked about, right? Like yes. we do see it talked about a lot. So I love how you explain that. And also to in pregnancy, because I think more and more people are coming in saying like, oh, like, what can I do to prevent this? And that's a whole other discussion, like, can you actually prevent it? We'll talk about that. But even just starting as early as possible, really sharing this up-to-date knowledge about what diastasis is, the natural occurrence in pregnancy, what they can do to support their body, that it's not just about the gap, which I think is what's most talked about traditionally. So and with that, actually, why don't we why don't we go into the pregnancy part first? When people do ask, you know, can I prevent this in pregnancy? How do you end up talking to your clients about it? Yeah, yeah. And so, and this is also something that we've kind of changed as well. So you probably a theme throughout this whole discussion is we'll kind of refer to traditionally, we used to say this and talk about it like this and understand it this way. And now we're, we're kind of focusing on it in a different lens, seeing it through a different lens. So before we may have been led to believe that there are ways to prevent it, um, but these ideas were not necessarily supported by research. So really, and when we're talking about the most up-to-date information on diastasis and pregnancy, what I can say is we really don't have a lot of information. We, we don't have a lot of information in general, but we also don't have information to support the idea that diastasis itself, when we're really only talking about linea alba widening, that that in and of itself can be prevented in pregnancy. 
But when we're talking about kind of global stretching of the entire abdominal wall, what we know is that for those who are in their first pregnancy, so first time moms, about 35, roughly 40% of, of women who have gone through a first pregnancy will have some lingering issues afterwards. So a good portion of women are going to be fine after their first pregnancy. So the, the question is, well, for these women who have the issue afterwards, what can we do to help them? And again, we don't have any specific research to say, well, just do this, this and this and you're good to go. I wish we had it and I wish it was as black and white as that, but it's all evolving. Um, so that's when we have to kind of start using our, I guess, just our knowledge, our clinical knowledge, our, our experience um, and draw from research when we can, whenever it offers something. So when it comes to the first time moms, first those who are in their first pregnancy, what I would recommend is spending some time understanding strengthening of your abdominal wall, keeping your muscles strong. Maybe um, some people who are already strong and fit um, and doing some exercise, core exercises before pregnancy. So it would be just a matter of continuing and maintaining that in the pregnancy so that the muscles and the tissues can kind of grow uh, and become strong or at least maintain their strength to support the weight of the growing baby. So that would be my first um, recommendation, like just to keep your muscles strong, participate in core exercises, do what you can to maintain the strength and the integrity of the muscles that way. So there has been some research very, very recently that has kind of linking the um, individuals that have gestational diabetes to, di to diastasis. So in this case, it, there's a possible link that way. There may be some changes in the tissues um, that, are, that are different in those that have gestational diabetes that may make them more predisposed to having some diastasis and lingering issues afterwards. But another thing that comes to mind with uh, gestational diabetes is they are at higher risk of having larger babies um, and also of gaining more weight in pregnancy. So when we're looking at these two different factors, then potentially in pregnancy, maybe what we want to also keep on the back of our minds is trying not you know, in terms of weight gain, following the doctor's recommendations for how much weight um, is considered healthy for your pregnancy to gain, because if a lot of that happens to be within the central area and the amount of weight that someone puts on in pregnancy is significantly more then it could add to the stress and the, the tissue stretching of the abdominal wall. So. There, there may be some things to think about there. We, again, we don't have a lot of information, but primarily what I would say is to keep your mind on some focused um, exercises for the core to maintain the integrity of those muscles throughout the pregnancy. And then it's, uh, you know, it hopefully is even easier to kind of after pregnancy to get back in and, and continue on to, to continue building strength postpartum. Mm hmm yeah, no, I love how you're saying it, like continuing and even within that, right, is even as pregnancy goes on, someone may then start to modify things so they can continue doing them. Yeah. So even planks, right? Like I know a lot of times we'll talk about 
you can still plank till the end, but oftentimes my clients, I'll be having them elevated. So on a box or then at like back of the couch table height, so they can still connect to that inner core system. Um, We'll talk about doming in a minute, but in terms of then they can monitor, you know, what pressure they can actually work against as their body continues to change. So I love that you brought that up, like continuing it. Um, and then that may be adjusted depending, you know, where they are in, exactly. in pregnancy. Yeah. So why don't we, yeah, let's go into doming. Cause I okay. find, again, that's another big hot topic around diastasis, right. In terms of like, is it good? Is it bad? What does it mean? I look at it. I know we're very similar with it's giving information. So does it necessarily mean stop doing it? Maybe, maybe not. Does it mean adjusting the strategy? That might be more what it's about. It's really rather, I tell clients, because sometimes they'll come in and they'll be worried that they injured themselves or suddenly they gave themselves diastasis. And I go through, actually, it didn't injure you. You didn't suddenly get a separation but it's letting you know about this particular movement. Let's test it. Let's go through it. So can you share a bit about what doming is and yeah, kind of how you look at it in regards to exercise and, and we can go pregnancy and postpartum, whatever you feel you want to describe it with. Okay. Okay. So we can go through postpartum first. Um, And so doming, just in case people aren't aware of what that means in kind of the world of diastasis, when we say that there is doming, um, it just, it, it means that what we are seeing is that the linea alba, so the space between the rectus abdominis is getting pushed out further or beyond the rest of the abdomen. So it kind of looks like a little dome um, and hence the name or coning is another name for it or tenting. And what we're seeing there is that there, we're just seeing that there's some pressure on the inside of the abdomen that is now being dispersed through the abdomen, but in a way that it's also pushing up into the front of the abdomen. Um, And so really, when you think about what the core's function is, the, the core is designed to contain pressure, to regulate pressure, to produce pressure. That is what it does. There's always pressure in our cores, in our abdomens, and it, it'll it go up, it'll go down, depending on what we're doing. If we're just sitting here right now, just talking, there's not a lot of pressure, but there's, a, there's always some level, like there's a baseline level. Uh, the second we get up, it'll rise. If we cough, it'll be even, it'll jump even higher. Um, if we lie down on our backs, there's not a lot of pressure there. So there's pressure levels that will that will constantly change throughout the day from minute to minute, millisecond to millisecond. And that's the case regardless if you have diastasis or if you don't. We all will have pressure. So now what happens postpartum is the tissues have changed. The status of the tissues have changed. So they are more easily stretched into. They're more easily extendable. So we just see that we see the pressure more, more easily than we did before. And so it doesn't mean that the pressure is bad or what we are seeing is bad or what is happening inherently needs to be avoided. It's literally just showing us that the body is working, that the core is doing its job. It's producing the pressure that it needs to, to do that task. And so 
when we're talking about doming, we are seeing evidence of that pressure. And we, are, we just happen to see it in one area. Um, sometimes we see the whole abdomen kind of fill up with pressure as well. So we call that bulging. But regardless of what we're seeing is the evidence of pressure. We happen to see it more easily because the tissues, just the status of the tissues allow us to see it better. So there's nothing to be concerned about there. But what we want to just, I guess, monitor is the degree of stretching that occurs in those tissues when there's an elevated pressure on the inside. So if we have tissues that are that are, I guess, under pressure and really stretching out fully, where if you try to go and feel the dome, the doming linea alba, and that, that linea alba feels quite firm um, and it's being filled up with pressure underneath, and it's kind of, it feels more like a hardened, um, a hardened tissue. It, it'll feel similar to a balloon that has, is fully inflated and you're trying to press on it. Um, there's a resistance there. It's not too easy for you to sink your fingers in. You, you could if you put, if you apply a little bit harder pressure with your fingers, but it's not that easy. So that's what we would consider a hard dome. These are not technical terms, but this is just kind of a way to describe it. So it's, it's a hardened dome, and that just means the tissues are potentially being stretched to their maximum or to their, to their tolerance. And then if you see doming where when you go and you press it, the linea alba feels very soft. Um, it's, it's very possible to see doming where the tissues are not being stretched to that limit either. So you could see a little bit of out pocketing and you press in the linea alba and it feels soft. Your fingers kind of sink right in. Um, that's a soft dome. So there are ranges of doming. There are levels or, you know, or continuums. Every person will be different in how much doming they produce, what their baseline is and how much they maximally dome, that there's a range for each person. So when it comes to doming, there are usually only a few exercises for each individual that produce that sort of maximum stretching because of the pressure that's produced on the inside. And it's those kinds of exercises, if we're just kind of generally speaking here, it's those exercises for that individual where they may want to adjust what they're doing, modify it, change their strategy and see if they can bring that doming down away from being fully stretched out. But if you're doing an exercise where you're seeing doming but it feels soft and it's just a little bit that's there there's, there's just not that much happening and you may have compared it to other exercises where you saw a lot so if you do sort of some comparison it gives you some context um and so if you see some exercises that there's not a lot of doming or if it, there is some it feels soft then really those tissues are not under strain and it's not something that we do need to really kind of avoid it's just it's just the pressure like i said it's just the core doing its job so that's typically the like a set of principles for postpartum you'll usually see doming um, the soft doming usually when you're on your back and you're doing some exercises there like lifting one or two legs up um, and then when you're in other positions, it's usually when you are kind of doing more heavier things, like when you're weightlifting or doing pull-ups and that sort of stuff. So just have a mirror beside you or just kind of look at your core and see what's happening um, and see 
if you can adjust what you're doing if you do find yourself doming significantly. And then for pregnancy, <clears throat> uh, and now I guess if we're really talking about kind of second and third trimester, where the abdomen has begun to stretch out. So now we are dealing with tissues that are already stretched and more so into the third trimester. So now if we're doing an exercise and we're seeing doming in pregnancy, that tissue is going even further than the rest of the, the abdominal wall, which is already being stretched. So in, in my opinion, I think in pregnancy, it is something we want to watch out for and we want to minimize as much doming as we can. Does it, it's okay if you see it there, but minimize it. Whereas in postpartum, it's more, there's a lot more room to play with because we're not really dealing with all the tissues that are being fully stretched out before doming even presents itself. Yeah. Oh, I love that explanation. And even because I know sometimes podcasts can be challenged to give those visuals. I love how you explain about the hard and the soft doming, because I think so many listeners are going to take away from that, that now they can be like, okay, if I see this happening, I can feel my abdomen, or like you said, use a mirror and that'll give them some information of then what to test out, potentially what to try differently. So love that, love that explanation. And we're, you're talking about that each person might have a set of exercises that maybe they do have doming with, right? And they may need to adjust their strategy. So, and I love how you talk about that, that it's like kind of this gray, right? Yeah. We're always in the gray. However, society and social media loves black and white lists yes. of safe and unsafe lists, right? right? So what would be in terms of maybe some of the exercises that you know are on those safe and unsafe mm. lists? And then where would you put in terms of that gray area? How would you describe kind of that adjustment? Okay, so the lists that we typically see right now for um, what is considered safe, what is considered unsafe, what is good, what is bad. So in terms of bad or unsafe, there's usually something along the lines of no heavy lifting, no crunching, no flexing, you know, your spine, no rotating, no double leg lifting. Like if you're on your back, no lifting up both of your legs and then no planking, no front loading exercises. So planks and hands and knees. So like basically you're left to just be there and be still like there's there's really not much left that you can do if you follow these lists. I really do think it's important to just to be aware that these lists were were put out initially to provide clarity. Like they, they their purpose wasn't to freak people out and to scare people into exercising. It was the way we were previously kind of looking at the whole condition and these sorts of lists make made sense. We were looking at it from the lens of we need to protect this tissue, we need to very be very careful with what we do so that we don't strain it so that we don't stress it we need to heal things so there's there's a lot of that going on when these lists were produced and were being used um, and they just they're still out there right now so there has been a massive shift in our approach in our understanding um, there are many people out there that are kind of pr- giving a a different message and consistently explaining how actually the gap that you have 
doesn't dictate what you can do. If you have diastasis, if, which means you have a wider linea alba than what is considered normal, if you have a wider linea alba, it, that does not determine what you can do or what you are capable of doing. So for example, you can have three people with a four finger gap and they can all be at different levels in terms of exercise and tolerance and ability. So you could have someone that is kind of just starting off on their journey of like kind of core rehabbing and um, maybe their early postpartum and and they're just, you know, they have, they've got a four finger gap, but what they're doing right now, it's more along the lines of learning how to connect with their pelvic floor, learning how to engage their, their TA, their deep core, learning how to coordinate things and doing that maybe on a, sitting on a ball. But you could also have someone who has a four finger diastasis that is completely able and to tolerate something like a full plank or burpees or mountain climbers like front loaded um, push ups, pull ups, toes to bar like bar hanging exercises so you can have very different. I guess presentations, even if someone if two people or four people or three have the same amount of space between the linea alba so it does it's just to show that the gap itself doesn't determine what you can do what you're capable of and it also doesn't prevent you from doing from doing those exercises really what you're capable of doing what you can handle is more based along the lines of what your what your core can handle and it comes down to your your fitness level your current fitness level your familiarity with the exercise itself your um previous strength you know how strong are you right now someone who is a beginner just starting out, out exercising and they try to do a full plank they may have a hard time but that doesn't mean it's because of you know let's say a a wrist injury it it, it doesn't it's just because they haven't um, done the exercise or you can have someone who is able to do that exercise and it feels easy and that's just because they do it like every every other day at the gym so it depends on what your your comfort level is what your tolerance currently is your fitness level your your ability to connect and control kind of what you're doing inside of the exercise so you can see that none of these really have much to do with the gap itself it's just to show that there really are no best exercises. There are no there are no ideal exercises that can be sort of applied generally to everybody. It's it's very individual. It's usually specific to the exercise and specific to the individual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of gray. It's not black and white. It's like really we've got everything that is there on the table everything is kind of laid out now and now it's like we need to explore rather than these are off the table these are off limits and you can't do them no they're there now we can see what you what you can handle yeah yeah exactly and that idea of like progressive overload like for anything is like getting your body used to gradually challenging it because that kind of going back to what you initially said like when we both first initially were trained in dice right it was very much like don't stress the tissue and that and then what we've seen with that is then but then people aren't they don't have the strength in that area to do the exercise whereas if they did they pro they could even if they did have a bigger gap so 
that's been so awesome to see that progression um, and seeing that change because it really opens the doors for so many clients who years ago would have been told, no, you can't do any of that. And it's like, it's activities they love, right? It's always how you're saying there really is no exercise that's off the table because we want to make it specific to what they love doing. But then just like you wouldn't go run a marathon if you haven't run a 5k, you need to gradually build up to it. So I think our listeners are going to so appreciate how you explain that because now they're going to be like, okay, so now I, I can get back to what I love to doing. There just may be steps to get there so I can feel strong in the end doing it. Exactly. Yeah. Like it, just because mm-hmm. I'm saying, you know, we don't have diastasis unsafe exercises. Like the, the, they don't really exist. There's no such thing. Just because that is true, it doesn't really mean that, okay, well now you can just jump into anything you want to do and just kind of go for it without kind of knowing some of the things to, to look out for and watch out for. So there, what it's saying is that there is the possibility, like the, the possibility of you doing what you want to do is there. And now we just work it at a level that makes sense for you um, and get you back to the level that you want to be at. And I think that goes with the idea lately, you know, you've mentioned how much things have changed over the years. And I would say lately too, there's been like a big pendulum swing that I know talking to some other professionals, they are a bit confused, which I get because sometimes the message they're seeing is like, go back and do anything and everything. And it's this in between, like what you were saying is like, you, your clients can get back to what they love to do. Or if you're the one with diastasis, you can get back to it, but it's not go back to anything and everything from the get-go. It's there's the steps and understanding potentially different strategies with your core, with your pelvic floor, with the whole system, with your breath to then get you to that point versus going from zero to a hundred, because that might not give you the result you're wanting either. Exactly. I mean, if we even just take diastasis kind of out of the picture for a second and we we're just talking about you know strengthening the body and general fitness and for someone who hasn't been to the you know to the gym or hasn't been doing some exercise but you know it's been on the back of their mind for a long time and uh, they've, they can tell that they've lost their strength and, you know, they, they remember they used to be able to do a lot of these things, but it's just, you know, time has just gotten by and life has just gotten in the way. And, but you know what, now it's time. Now they're ready. They're going to, they're going to go and they're going to do something. Um, and they're looking forward to it. They're excited to get back in and, and, and feel and see the changes. Um, and so that person, it, it wouldn't be the wisest choice to go and start at the same place that they left off with before they had that long break. Um, it's, it, you know, maybe they, they do and they're fine. And, you know, they're, there's a great muscle memory. So that I feel like the body will probably get what they, you know, what's being asked of it, but, you know, most likely there's going to be a level of, just starting from a a little bit before where you were at so either reducing the volume or the intensity and then just working your way up just you know that the principle of progressive overload you just don't necessarily want to start at the maximum uh, right away if you haven't done that before Um, and so this is where it it still 
remains gray because there can be some people who do have diastasis who've not been doing the exercises because online told them not to, but they they are still quite strong. They haven't lost as, as much of their muscle tone and they end up going back and doing an exercise that they used to do. And they, they're able to control things while they don't have that much doming. And so actually for this individual, they they technically can go back to the level that they're at because they're demonstrating they they are managing it well they're not in pain they're not leaking they're not they have control over doming if it's significant they have control over their body and their form it it's just it comes down to what you're what you're able to handle um and so again it's diastasis we're kind of taking it out of the picture uh and it's and actually, I think the confusion that you were referring to, and even from the professional's standpoint, totally get it. And it's also potentially because we are kind of in between two different ways of looking at it, two different paradigms, where we're still, we haven't fully, we, we understand progressive overload, the importance of strengthening and how that can be beneficial. And, and yet there's still overlaying on top of that, this idea that there's a gap that's there that needs to be monitored and um, maybe there's still a little bit of fear amongst the professionals themselves over they don't want to make things worse for their clients. So I, I totally get it. Um, and so what really helps to overcome that roadblock or barrier is just to remind ourselves that strengthening leads to the changes that we're hoping to see. We're using exercises as a tool right, to create some changes. We're hoping that the exercise can, I mean, for most of the people that I see, they, they want to change the way things look. And we can't guarantee that with exercise, you're gonna get back to where you want to be. But we can say that we're using exercise as a tool to help facilitate the changes. We know that things need to be strengthened. Through strengthening, we can create physical tissue changes, muscle changes tone and definition, we know that occurs through strengthening. And so it's just reminding ourselves that those changes that we're hoping to see are from the strengthening process, including the changes in the linea alba. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's so key for both professionals and people with diastasis or kind of looking ahead in terms of understanding that. And one of the other things people get told, surgery is your only option. And I mean, I know that's a whole discussion in itself because sometimes people don't get assessed properly or that's a blanket statement from some health professionals of it's just surgery or nothing so that it may not actually apply. But for people who, let's say, do have more of a significant diastasis in terms of maybe a wider gap, maybe their tension, um, stretching of the abdominal wall, as you met all the kind of different factors what do you feel in terms of timeline for them to work, which can be really individual, but I think sometimes people either are surprised that, like you said, strength and all this takes time. So mm -hmm. like, and does take effort to yeah. then give it a certain amount of time to see what can be done through exercise, through strategies to see change. And then at that point, if they want to make a decision, the surgery decision is always up to the person and there can be different reasons they may want it or not want it. But I'm curious kind of how you, you approach it in terms of with clients, in terms of, you know, that timeline discussion. Yeah, so that, that has also evolved, especially in the past 
few years in terms of timeline for when to go for surgery, how long should you spend doing conservative management and um, with the understanding that connective tissue, so with, with the, the muscles and with the abdomen, the abdominal wall, we're dealing with muscles and connective tissue. So we know muscles, they, they can undergo strengthening and we can see changes in the muscles within a few months, um, which we can build upon over time and potentially see even more of, of muscle hypertrophy, like uh, growth, muscle growth. So it doesn't take that long for muscles, but the issue for what we are talking about actually rests in the connective tissue. The connective tissue piece to this is the one that takes longer because the, the turnover rate for collagen, which is what connective tissue is made out of, what we're hoping to do with exercise is stimulate that collagen production um, and turnover, but that process can take minimum six months up to two years. So there's a longer length of time that we we need to allow ourselves to at least consider um, because the tissues that we're dealing with kind of improve at different rates. Um, but for those longer lasting changes in the connective tissue, we're looking at more more realistically between one and a half to two years. Now, that will definitely turn some people off. So because we're talking about one and a half, potentially two years of dedicated work several times a week doing exercises that are not that easy and like kind of progressing every time they get every time they get easy, they progress them so that they are always being challenged and doing that for a long time. Some people, that's all they want. They want to avoid surgery at all costs and, and they are fully um, on board with that idea. And some people just, you know, just the thought of that, it's just, they, it'll turn them off and they'll go for surgery before that, um, or they'll start getting some consultations before that. So like you said, it's really, it's individual. Like, and also what is it that you, what is it that you want to achieve through strengthening? So just kind of asking yourself, what do I want? Again, most people, yes, they want to get stronger. They want to get back to doing exercises and activities and that they used to do that they may not be doing right now or to the level that they used to. Most like if we're just going to be honest, most people really just want a flat stomach or they want their stomach to look the way it did before pregnancy. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And so if they um, just think that I don't have the mental capacity to deal with this right now, I've got three kids, um, to think that I'm, I'm going to be on this journey for that long, it, you know, it's just, it's, it will seem overwhelming for them. So again, it comes down to the individual, what they can, what they want, um, and what, what are they wanting and willing to do in terms of conservative management? We typically will recommend kind of exhausting all conservative management options before surgery because it's a major surgery. A lot of downtime. Recovery is not easy for, for most people. Recovery is a long process. So um, if they can get by without having the surgery, a lot of people will opt for that. But some obviously some people um, don't. They, they will prefer to go earlier. And I think that's completely fine. So we do need to be um, aware as professionals, but also if you have diastasis yourself, just be aware that the length of time is not, we're not talking a couple of months. We are talking realistically one and a half to two years 
Mm-hmm. And, and it's helpful too, you know, as we've had the discussion, hopefully people have picked up too, there's how we go back to the start, the, the traditional definition of what diastasis is versus someone who may be contemplating surgery. There's so much variation. So in terms of, let's say a two finger gap, you're able to generate tension linea alba. There hasn't been a lot of distension in the tissue, the abdominal tissue that you may still be told you have diastasis, but if someone says you have to go, like surgery is your only option, like with those kind of criteria, that might not really be something you need at all, um, that it's more the strengthening, right? And I think that's the, the challenging part too online is there's so many variations in what diastasis is yes. um, that people can get very kind of feeling anxious about it, being like, oh my gosh, do I have diastasis? And then you see them in clinic go through these myths. So hopefully lots of professionals who are hearing this are picking this up and you can really help your clients take some of that stress off. So they're getting up-to-date information on what this even is and how it may or may not impact them, but also even then, yeah, what they can do with the strengthening. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think what's important to mention here Mm -hmm. is that, um, this has been demonstrated over and over again, at least within my, my practice. And I'm sure you've seen it too, but like you can have someone who has a, you know, maybe in classification, a severe diastasis, you know, there's a lot of distension, significant amount of abdominal sort of bulging and, you know, they, they do not feel good about themselves and they don't, they don't like the way they look in their clothes. Um, And so we can have someone like that go through a strengthening. So they're initially, you know, surgical candidates when we were just kind of thinking who would go for surgery for just kind of looking at at, um, the different presentations. That might be someone who at the onset is eligible for surgery, but they go through a strengthening um, program that's long enough, that's hard enough, and also working on things like stress and sleep and nutrition and kind of working at the whole person um, for a long enough period of time. And they, they actually do really well. And by the end of that, they no longer feel that they need to go for surgery. They're quite happy with what, how things have kind of panned out with their, their strengthening. So you could also have someone who doesn't have as severe of a case, more of a moderate kind of presentation, some diastasis, some distension of the abdomen, and they go through a strengthening program that's tailored to them. It's hard enough. It's long enough. They do all the stuff around sleep and, and nutrition and stress management. And at the end of that, they they see quite a few changes in strength, but they don't see as many changes as they hope to in the physical appearance so for that individual even though at the onset they weren't really necessarily considering surgery or weren't necessarily candidates for surgery they see that they've kind of reached their maximum i guess self adapting changes at the end of the program and so then then they go for surgery so i guess this the moral here of the story is that you just have to give yourself the chance like if that's what you if you want to try the conservative management approach you can go through that approach and see where you end up at least you'll know that you'll know what you were able to do what your body um, was able to how it was responding to the exercises how well it you know responded to what you were doing if it was enough of an input to some people maybe just due to genetics they 
the exercise management just doesn't get them to where they want to be, but they've tried it. And so they know I did it. And, and now I'm ready to go for surgery because I did what I could. So really, we just don't know. We can never look at someone and say, yeah, you can go for surgery. Oh, you won't need it. Oh, yes, you will need it. We really don't know. We just have to give offer them the chance to try it. And then we can see how their body is responding along the way. Now, that being said, I so I'm currently working on some programs and resources for those who go through surgery. But through this process, what I have been finding out and just in discussions with plastic surgeons and what is very interesting to me is that by the time patients go to the surgeon, um, they've done a lot of a lot of conservative management. Many of them, they've tried exercise, they've tried physio, but the so some surgeons may not really be open to working with the fitness and rehab professionals, or kind of turned off at it because a lot of the language that was being used to help that person before they went into the surgeon's office was around this is going to help you this is going to you won't need surgery after this you don't need to see a surgeon these exercises are going to are going to be the key are going to be your answer so there's a lot of these claims and promises that are being made and by the time they get to the surgeon's office the surgeons hear all of that you know, oh, my physio said this and my professional fitness professional said this and, and, you know, it just didn't work. So we have to be very mindful of what we're saying to our patients, especially if we want to start building relationships with surgeons. We, we want to be on the same page, on the same board with them, and we want to be able to help these pe people who end up going through surgery even after they've had the surgery. Um, and that comes down to being very honest with what we are saying and, and really not making such bold claims like this will absolutely fix your diastasis we, we can't say stuff like that unfortunately like i said they just have to try the conservative approach and see how their body responds yeah no i think that's such important info for everyone to hear and just having that open dialogue with with clients, if you're a professional listening, I think that's just really key. And yeah, we'll definitely have to have you. I know you've been working on that. <laughs> we'll have to have you back on after um, that program's done and just hearing sure. more about that, the pre and the post um, yeah. rehab and all of that as well. So even just to kind of tie things together, what would be, you know, one key thing about diastasis you think is really important for someone who is pregnant or someone is postpartum uh, to hear or know about? I think the most important thing is to, to know that you don't have to wait until your diastasis has closed or healed before you begin some harder exercises, before you go on that strengthening journey. So a lot of people get stuck there because they're waiting for things to sort of change. Um, and then, and then they're, they're, once that happens, then they can kind of go and proceed and be fine and do whatever they want to do. So I think the message is you don't have to wait for that. And in fact, it's usually through that strengthening piece of it that gets you toward, like it gets you towards the changes that you're hoping to see or gets you going down the path of using exercise as a means to create some of those changes. So it's kind of flipping it on its head. Yeah, 
No, that's so, so good for people to hear. And what about for professionals? What's kind of one thing you really want them to know, whether they're a health or fitness professional? Yeah, I would say the same thing, the same thing. And also um, just be aware of the messaging that you may be using and how you're describing it to your clients. Are you, are you saying it? Are you discussing and describing it as the muscles have split open? Um, there's a tear in the linea alba. Uh, there, there's, you know, even the word separated, it can also create qu- quite a bit of fear on the inside when, when you think, okay, am I, I've got separated muscles. So it, if we can change the language to just kind of describe what we're seeing, we're seeing we've got a thinner and wider linea alba. That's what we're dealing with, a thinner usually and a wider linea alba. So just describing it rather than labeling it as, um, you know, as a diastasis, just the linea alba is wider. And what we're going to do is kind of work at it through exercise um, to help stimulate some of those changes. And let's see where we can go and how much we can achieve with that. Yeah, no, language is just so key in so many realms of this. But yeah, diastasis such a big thing in terms of language. So I know professionals will appreciate that. And I know there will be individuals in the community and the professionals too, who are like, okay, I need to learn more from Manera. How do I do that? And you have two awesome online programs. So can you share a bit more about both of them? Sure. Thank you. So I do have a course for professionals. Um, It's for, you know, any rehab, fitness, even medical professionals that they can take it. It's on diastasis called diastasis rectus abdominis and the postpartum core. And it really dives deep into, into the topic, allows you to understand things like tension, doming, where these ideas came from. Um, it introduces a new framework that you can use with your clients to give you more confidence in, I guess, creating exercise programs, knowing what to watch out for, how to scale up and scale down. It gives you a full exercise program that you can try, or at least to use that for inspiration to kind of go off of and, and individualize with your clients and how to modify things. And so, and it's covered for many fitness organizations. It, it, it is a pre-approved for CEUs or CECs for many fitness organizations um, and soon for physiotherapy CEUs in the U.S. as well. So if you are a a person that has diastasis, if you're a mom and you are unsure of how to go through the strengthening process, you kind of know and you're ready to do more, but you're you're just confused with all the information. You don't really know how to take that and to do something with it. I have a program for moms with diastasis that goes through the entire process in a step-by-step manner. I guide you through all the stuff from the connecting and, and the engaging and how to do all that, but then into the strengthening where I feel like um, a lot of the changes can occur is in strengthening. So really we spend time on that piece of it. I teach you how. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely put links to both in the show notes. And then also, where can everyone find you online? I know we mentioned kind of Instagram before, but where are kind of all the best places people can find you? Yeah, so Instagram is probably the best place, um, Munira Hudani PT. But I do have my website at www.munirahudanipt.com. And it has uh, links to those programs and courses as well. Amazing. Well, thank you again for being on Jess and I really appreciate it your time and your expertise and just 
again, sharing all this up-to-date information, I know our listeners are really going to value today's episode. Thank you so much. It was great being here. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 